the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in and subscribing. Of course, you already know you can find our episodes anywhere podcasts are published. But did you also know that we're now in the Amazon Music section, which means we are available on the Echo devices. And you can ask Alexa to play the Ambiguously Blind podcast. And there you will find us too. In addition, we're on most of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. So if you roam in any of those social media circles, we'd appreciate you connecting with us and following us to keep connected with the podcast and things that are going on here too. We are also on the web at ambiguouslyblind.com where you'll find transcript of episodes as well as pictures, links, and other things that we talk about. In addition, you'll find a link to the merch store and our Patreon page, which are really fantastic ways to help support the channel and keep things moving here. My guest today is Kelly Walker. She hosts her own podcast called Hustle and Pro. She talks to people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area about sports and all that that implies. So I thought it'd be a good idea to have her on with us and talk about sports as they pertain to me. So Kelly, thanks for stopping by to talk sports. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk to you a little bit about a topic that I don't think you've covered too much in general yet, which is sports on your podcast. No, I haven't really. Uh, we did the few episodes ago, we had the National Blind Sports Week and mm-hmm. we talked about some sports, but not anything really as it pertains to me personally about sports. Well, we will today. So I have talked to you in front of my podcast audience before about some sports topics that, that are kind of affect you personally. Um, but now we get to flip it around and talk to your audience and tell them your sports story. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And this will probably be pretty quick because I don't know if my sports stories are very, I don't know, there's, I don't know that there's much depth <laughs> to those. There are, there probably are. So your podcast is the Lifestyle Frisco podcast. What is it you talk right. about? Right. So um, let's see. I'm, I'm about 90 episodes in to talking sports. It's called Hustle and Pro. Lifestyle Frisco is the publisher here locally in the Frisco, Texas area. And so my show is a weekly show where I talk sports from youth to pro. It's kind of my little tagline. And so I get Frisco ISD student athletes in and talk about what they've you know experienced so far, maybe if they've committed or signed to go play in college, and we just talk to them about just how they juggle their life. And then we have so many professional sports here in town that I'm lucky enough to get to work with those teams and get professional athletes in the studio. And so we talk to Texas Legends basketball players. They're the Mavs um, minor league team, basically. And I talk to FC Dallas players, which is our MLS soccer team. And they have a development team also that I get to talk to those players. And I talk to the Frisco Rough Riders, which is the Texas Rangers um, minor league team. So we have a lot and there's even some other, the Dallas Stars are here. We have a new rugby team coming. We have all kinds of stuff here in Frisco. So I just talk to people who either play sports or used to play sports or whatever it is about their sports interests. And we just chat and it's awesome. And I love it. Who is the coolest person or maybe conversation you've had? Well, I do have a favorite. Um, Besides me, obviously. Well, yes, your episode definitely tops the charts so far. So 
I mean, my pro athlete favorites. So Reggie Cannon is one of my favorites. Um, and he's kind of one of the bigger names that I've interviewed. He's he at the time was an FC Dallas player and um, he plays for the U.S. men's national team. And he has, let's see, several months ago has moved on to play in Portugal. So he's no longer an FC Dallas guy, but he's a homegrown local kid. And um, back when I interviewed him, I mean, he was probably, I think he just turned 21. Um, But that was a fun interview. I'd been a fan of his for a few years already. So it was fun to just get him in the studio and pick his brain and hear his goals about wanting to go play in Europe. So watching him then proceed after that and you know kind of get to fulfill some of his goals and dreams now is really fun to watch so he is reggie cannon is one of my tops but then even some of the younger kids hannah mandel my student athlete she's kind of my favorite interview because she she was a soccer player also um, here from wakeland high school and just to hear how poised and goal-oriented this young lady was was really impressive and i've since watched her go off and play college soccer and the things she's going to accomplish are pretty amazing so those are a couple of my faves so far and i think it's sports that has uh created a friendship between you and i does that sound about right yeah i mean yeah it does it all goes back to i think i've said soccer now three times so it really goes back to soccer because the connection that you and I have is, well, my husband who now my husband, who was your roommate back in college at Texas Tech. But the first memories that I think about knowing you guys was on the soccer field when we were playing intramural soccer to co-ed intramural. And so like, that's literally the first time I remember even seeing my husband, Ryan Walker, um, was during a soccer game because he showed up at halftime once. And so, yeah, you were on that team. And so we had other mutual friends on that team. But yeah, it, soccer is what how you and I originally started to know each other. So it is the soccer that binds us. Yep, it is. It is. But then we also played other intramural sports to get, well, I'm not sure if together. So you coached me in a couple sports, right? But I don't know if we actually were on the same team as players together, except for soccer. We were on the same team as soccer players. Yeah. Only. I don't think there was a co-ed basketball team. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we coached basketball and flag football. There was a co-ed softball team, but I don't think you and I were on the same team. I think you were in the stands with Ryan watching one or two of those games possibly, but I don't think you were on that team, right? No, for some reason I've never been a big softball player. I don't know why, but uh, I don't, I don't know why I just, no, I was not on the softball team. So do you remember the infamous game when I thought you were there? I don't know if you remember this or not. It was October of 97. Um, when I got hurt, 1997 Kelly, that was a long time ago. I know. I mean, I can't forget it because I got really hurt, but Ryan remembers it because he was sitting there watching, which I just assumed you were probably with him watching also. I think it was actually one of y'all's mutual friend Kevin's team who like who I was on their team or something. I don't know. Can't remember that part of it. But yeah, I got knocked out. I got hit in the head really hard with the softball that night and got like knocked out cold and my sister Sarah uh, took me to the emergency room. <laughs> I had been in college for like a month and got hurt. It's a great introduction to college life. 
Yeah, it was so embarrassing. What I had happened? a huge lump on my head. Well, I was a base runner and, you know, safety wasn't top of, of mind so much, I guess. So I don't think we wore helmets. And um, I was a base runner on first. The ball got hit into center field. Center fielder got it to the second baseman quick enough to where he thought he could turn a double play. He catches the ball and turns to throw it to first, but I'm like a yard away from him. So his throwing it to first to get me out as a runner hit me in the head, like before he even kind of like let go of it. It's almost like he punched me in the face, but with the ball in his hand. Yikes. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. The stitches cut my head open, knocked me out. It was, it was memorable. And I guess the runner at first was safe then. Yeah, sure. Probably. Man, I wish I knew who was on that team. I know, all I know was my sister. But yeah, I don't know who else was on that was team. Was it co-ed? I just had one, one ble- Yeah, it was for sure co-ed because the guys oh, yeah. who yeah, hit yeah. me for right. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just had one bloody Kappa Delta sorority t-shirt to show for it and a big giant lump on my head for a while. But anywho, I know you're not here to hear my uh, softball injury stories. <laughs> Well, not because it's not interesting, but more of it's because it's maybe it's because of a downer. We don't want to hear about the, the injury right. stories. Right. Well, the good news is I bounced back. I still play softball for fun, even as a 40 something year old. So it has a has a good ending. But I want to know more about like your. So, OK, so like we just said, we we met each other at Tech, happened to be on a soccer field playing intramurals. But I don't know much about like your, you know, time playing sports before that. I just assume you played all the normal childhood sports that that maybe my husband played growing up with you. But so what did you play as a kid or love the most sports wise? Soccer was probably the one I played the most. So that should be no surprise to you. But I played also played baseball and basketball. I'm, I was kind of tall for my age. Yeah. So that kind of lent me to uh, basketball, although I was not that good at basketball. I did play and it was fun. I played, um, thinking if there was anything else. So basketball, baseball. Basketball through like middle school? Because I'm assuming at Plano, you guys went to a competitive high school basketball, right? I did not play basketball at the high school level for the school. I did play in the rec leagues in the city. So we had the, oh. between the YMCA and... Yeah. In and where I was growing up, the the city sports authority had the the city leagues. So yeah, I played through high school. I played basketball. Oh, good. Okay, I didn't realize that. And so I you played. Say you weren't very good, which that is why I was the coach. I was qualified were. to be the coach in college because. Well, yeah, I mean, so much yeah. basketball experience, right? Sure. And but it. baseball, I probably stopped playing baseball. I want to say at the end of middle school. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't play ba- baseball after middle school, but I played, I continued to play soccer and basketball. That's a pretty normal cutoff for baseball to play through middle school because then it, you get that, okay, am I competitive enough to play for my high school? But if you aren't, the rec leagues kind of water down and stop really, I don't know, they sort of stop happening. At least nowadays, that's how baseball is. So that's pretty normal, I think, to, baseball fizzle out after but there are lots of basketball at least back you know for me when i was doing it th- there was very competitive soccer leagues outside of high school mm-hmm. and there were pretty competitive basketball leagues outside of high school in in yeah. our area so yeah we played those pretty regularly i never played football i was gonna say i didn't hear football which no. is 
you know, another one I, I would maybe assume you never even peewee, like little kid football. No, I ran track in high school or sorry, in middle school. Okay. I'm not fast. I ran the, um, I ran the 800 meter and the mile. And it was short lived because you were not super fast at it. No, I was not. Very I never in got fact, into running ever at middle school. I don't like running. Went, you know, it's like you've seen the movie um, Anchorman, right? Sure. Where Ron Burgundy is explaining, Burgundy. explaining jogging, you know, <laughs> or you just go running for no apparent reason. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of the way I feel about, about running. So unless I'm running from a bear or something or my kids, uh, right. there's really no reason to run. Just for the heck of it. For the heck yeah. of it. So interestingly though, when I was in middle school, I, it's probably sixth grade. It was our first track meet and I'm running the half mile and the mile. And I remember the bus ride to the track meet. I don't remember what I was eating, but it was something probably candy or some sort of snack or something. And I got about a lap and a half through the mm. two lap 800 meter race and um, lost the contents of my, my snacks mm. on the nice. track. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't quite figured that, that part out yet, but it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't just like recreationally run either. I never got into running as a sport when I was younger I went to a K through eight private school growing up. And so I guess sports offered were probably just limited and we didn't have, we weren't, you know, we had the basics, but not track was never on my radar. And so I never really learned how to be a good runner. And so as an adult, I try to run for exercise, but I don't enjoy it. But when you said that, it reminded me, Ryan always laughs that the only time he's running is if he's running on a, after a ball on a soccer field, and then he can run forever what seems like forever he's con- he's conditioned to run after a soccer ball, but not just out in the street. Like if I say, Hey, you want to go on a jog? He's like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> Why? Yeah, I can relate to that. So I, I don't like to run either. And I've explained that to other people, but when you're playing soccer, I mean, you end up running a ton in soccer. And oh, so if yeah. you add up all the running you do, it's, it's a lot. So that seems like it's productive running to me. Right. Just going yeah, out well, to, get some fresh air you're you're running after something you're you're moving in a certain direction for a reason and you're sprint you know you're starting and stopping one year i bought him um, a chip that goes in your cleats that you can then it's like usb where you can put it in your computer and it'll tell you your stats they're really popular now um but back when we did this he it would chart his running in a game and tell you your burst speed and how many miles you ran during that time period period. And so it was interesting because sometimes he would run like seven miles in a game. Yeah. And you just don't feel like you just did that, you know, but if you're playing two 45 minute halves in a full, full blown soccer game, you're and you're a midfielder. Like he is, you run the whole time. You're just constantly on the go. What position did you play when you played soccer? I was the usually defense. Yeah. Defense uh, would be generally what it was. Sometimes I played striker forward. Okay. Maybe a little bit of midfield, but I was mostly defense, mostly like, I think it was, I don't know if they still call it this or not, but it was a sweeper. Uh Uh-huh. Was generally where I hung out. I was the last resort. I still call it sweeper. Stopper is another one. I mean, there's so many, that's the funny thing about soccer. There's so many terms for each position. It's kind of funny because it depends on sort of your, the era in which you grew up, what you call different positions. 
And I don't know why it's probably because of my skill set was why I was in that position, but I'm not generally a defensive guy. I would, I would prefer to be on offense, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I had the finesse with my feet to be a uh, very productive striker. But as, as I aged, I seemed like I was in defense, but as a kid, very little kid, you know, five, six, seven years old. I was, I did score a lot of goals back in those days, but nice. I didn't age well. My offense of prowess didn't age well, apparently. Didn't keep up. Yeah. But I did like foiling the other offensive guys. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> but a sport that we haven't talked about, which I don't know if that's really wasn't a sport for me, was cycling. I think we'll talk about this later too, but I did ride bikes as kids do sure. quite a bit as a youngster. Yeah, just like neighborhood bike gangs with your friends yeah. getting into trouble. Yeah. yeah. And my dad was big into biking and he would ride on long, he would take long rides. There was, where, where we're from in Ohio, there's a race called Tosserv, T-O-S-R-V, Tour of Scioto River Valley. Cool. So it's kind of like the Tour de France, but it's mm-hmm. it's in this little... <laughs> southern part of Ohio and it's I don't know how far how many miles it is but it's a two-day race and you start in uh, they started in Columbus which is the capital and rode I'm guessing about 80 miles wow to an end point and then they stayed there and then rode back the next day wow that's pretty big time yeah and my dad has done that a few times so he would you know I, I can remember him doing that so we, we we would always bike a lot. Um, my brother and my dad and I, we would go out on bike rides a lot. So in addition to just goofing around with my buddies, you know, we um, we did some biking too. So yeah, you were at a little higher level then than the old neighborhood bike gang if you actually had a dad that was, you know, a cyclist and yeah, knew, how to, knew how to cycle 80 miles. And that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. He okay, was what, about, what about rollerblading? No, this was big and near when you were growing up. Would, uh, well, I was later? kind of on the, so my brother did that, uh, who's a few years younger than me and mm-hmm. he had rollerblades. I didn't, but, um, I could squeeze into his occasionally and I, I did that. I did roller skate a lot. I mean, we, oh, we had a, skates, a yeah. skating rink as well where we were growing up. So we did a lot of roller skating, but, but rollerblading, I didn't, I never have owned a pair of rollerblades. I've been in them before. And my brother played, went on to play hockey and stuff too, which kind of lends itself to rollerblading. Oh yeah, sure. You got to have, you got to know how to rollerblade or skate if you're going to play hockey. Never really did rollerblades though. What about skateboarding? No, I think I had a, actually I did have a skateboard. I had a back to the future skateboard. Nice. Which will tell you any, everything, everything you need to know about skateboarding because the people that were real skateboarders did not have a back to the future skateboard. Yeah, that might have been a little gimmicky, a little yeah. too obvious. They had, the uh, I don't know, board I don't know what they had, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a Back to the Future skateboard. But we all, you know, speaking of baseball, it, you know too, what it was? What they all had were what? the build your own kind, where yeah. you buy like the, you know, the pieces. Of, yeah, and it was the board I, I don't know with all the like, pieces. I was not a skateboarder, but they would build their own to make it like hardcore. Yeah, what I remember would be like a the board with basically like gritty kind of sandpaper stuff on the top, but mm-hmm. it was covered in stickers and stuff on the bottom Grip and tape. other, mm-hmm. other 
the graffiti looking. Yes. Yeah. 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 So no, I wasn't a big skateboarder, although I had one, but no. Me neither. But speaking of baseball, though, we did play, we played a lot of wiffle ball. Oh, yeah, sure. And I mean wiffle a balls. lot of wiffle ball. Like backyard type of wiffle yes. ball? Yes. Yeah. Where I was growing up in Ohio, we had much bigger backyards than we have here in Texas, in North Texas. And we would play, yeah, we had about four or five venues in the neighborhood. And wiffle ball was a, was a big player. Wiffle ball is awesome because you can swing as hard as you want. And the, but the only bad parts are if the sting of the ball, if you get hit on your skin or hitting it over a fence and having to go ask a neighbor to get Yeah. Like the whole sandlot issue. Yeah. yeah. I love sandlot. I just recorded a podcast episode about favorite sports movies and sandlot was on my list. And I actually realized my top, five were all baseball movies so it was kind of funny doing my list because i thought oh they'll be all over the place but once i actually narrowed them down i apparently most enjoy watching baseball movies i think i'm the same way what are your top five? Oh, i don't have my notes in front of me but okay off the top of my head field of dreams is a favorite because it's i know it's unrealistic and but i like the magical part of it and I, I love James Earl Jones' voice and all. I love the whole thing. I love all of it. A League of Their Own is top because I've always played softball, and I just think it's a cool story of watching those ladies play. Uh, 42 is on my list. It's an it's a hard-to-watch movie sometimes, right? But it's important, and it's, every year near Jackie Robinson's birthday, I do see it when it's on TV. I stop and watch it, and I try to make my kids watch it with me because it's important. Uh, Sandlot, because it's cute. I just think it's a funny movie. Um, and just the love of baseball is cool. And um, Moneyball is one of my top lists because once I started to kind of learn about the numbers part and the statistical part of baseball and learn about the story of that movie, I just thought it was cool. So I like that one too. But I have a ton. There's a ton. But those are my top baseball movies. I seem to like baseball movies too. I think, uh, I think I told you on, on when we spoke last on your podcast, that bull Durham was my favorite sports movie. It's just, yep. it's classic. So on this episode that I was just talking about, our mutual friend, Brandon may was my co-host. I wouldn't say guest because I've had him. He sits in with me sometimes to help me out with his, as you know, his basketball, knowledge he helps me and when we interview basketball guys sometimes but um brandon's favorite movie of all time was also bull durham really yep you guys have that in common i knew i liked that guy i know and then our we had a, we had three of us in uh, our other co-worker daniel his favorite sports movie was space jam <laughs> space jam okay. yeah yeah and he gave a very compelling argument as to why he loved space jam and why we shouldn't have laughed at him when he said Space Jam. But anywho, sports movies, whole nother podcast, John. Yeah, we could probably talk a few hours about that. Yes, for sure. For sure. Maybe next time. Yes. Okay, so I know the sports that you played when you were little. Then how did that, like, you know, mature as you matured? How, what did you like to keep playing the most? As we just talked about, I knew you were playing soccer and murals when we got to tech, but what did you keep up with the most? Keep up from a playing perspective? 
Well, I guess both playing and watching. I mean, those are the, the two parts of it. Yeah, I stuck with soccer probably the most. I, again, I never really got into softball and baseball kind of faded away in, in middle school. But I would guess that soccer and basketball were the ones that I really stuck with. The longest. Then as far as watching goes, I mean, you were always a football watcher or no? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Always a football watcher. But I think probably the sport that I like to watch the most is baseball. Don't hear that every day. I love to watch baseball too. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but there's something about a baseball game. Yep. There's a lot of people that can't watch baseball games. They think it's too slow and boring, but I like when I'm really wanting to watch a game, like I love every, you know, second in between when they're watching just talking about pitch count and different pitches they're going to throw and watching the guys lead off and just all the different nuances of the sport. I love really getting to focus on and watch a game. I, I haven't lately because when the Rangers aren't playing well, they're my team. I'm from Texas and I've always lived here. So I'm a Rangers fan. So when they're not playing well, especially seasons like 2020, it was really hard to like sit down and really be like totally into a full game. Um, but when they have good seasons and there's something to entice me to really get in and watch every game, I love it. And also regarding baseball, I think I would really get into, they, they have the Sunday night game on ESPN. It was always a good game. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I like football too, but I find my, I found myself not being interested in Monday night football as much in the last say 10 years, just for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know why, but football, I, I, you know, the teams I like to follow, I like to follow, but then the, the Monday night football game, if it wasn't a team I was interested in, I didn't really want to watch it, but Sunday night baseball for me, for some reason always seemed like an intriguing matchup. It was always a good thing. So I could always remember wanting to sit down and watch the Sunday night baseball game. Yeah. Same here with, with certain football games, unless it's my team, I sometimes can't get into it unless it's a big storyline and you know, it's a big rival game or I don't know, some playoff implication or something major happening. Um, or, just a player that you like really watch. Like I'll watch chiefs games now because I'm a Mahomes fan and I just want to see what he's up to and that kind of thing. But overall I'm, I'm pretty much just going to be watching the Cowboys and whoever they're up against it that week. So what about you though? Splitting time between a couple States growing up, what's your football flavor? Well, my primary football flavor would be the the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. And pretty close to that would be the Dallas Cowboys. But for the last 15 to 20 years, that's been some pretty tough watching and -hmm. following. Actually, longer for the Bengals. The Bengals Bengals were in the Super Bowl, I think, in 1986, 7 or 8. I don't remember what year it was. Yeah, you've had some dry spells then. But hey, you know, it always comes around. So you've... You've put in a lot of time as both of those fans. So when yours rolls around, you're going to, you could get hit with like some really good football years for both of your teams here pretty soon. You know? Yeah. Not, well, yeah. That's not that's what really thinking. soon. But. Yeah. <laughs> so like if the, if the Bengals were there, let's just say 87, of course they lost. Uh, Joe Montana beat them in the Super Bowl. And then like skip forward about three or four years later, and then the Cowboys start 
just knocking it out. So those three, three early nineties Cowboys Mm -hmm. teams were just, you know, that's in the age group that I was in. That was, that was just unbelievable. That was it. Yeah. 93, four, five or three, four, six, three, four, six. But there has not been anything for the Bengals or the Cowboys since. Yeah. Playoff game here and there, but occasionally right home about no. Yeah. It's, it's tough, but that's why we, that's why we stick with sports because it's not always, um, unless you're in Boston or LA lately, it's not always winning all the time, right? You stick with it in hopes that your team comes around because there's always a chance. Always <laughs> there's a chance. always a chance that next season something could happen. There's so always we always go back and keep watching. It's, it's okay, a lot but, like life, you know? You don't win every time. Right, but you got to go back and see if you can if you can get better. So when you're talking about football and watching, so like I'm curious, consuming sports in person, like, okay, ignore the fact that we're not really able to be in person at sports like we would the rest of our lives right now. Ignoring that, what's your, how do you feel about consuming sports in person versus TV or listening to the radio? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So that certainly has changed for me since with the visual changes that I've had. Right. And I would love to go to sporting events uh, prior to vision change. So uh, we did have season tickets to those those Cowboy years. So I was at a lot of those games. And the Dallas Cowboys, Texas Rangers, the Dallas Stars, all the all the Dallas teams. And couldn't get enough of that. It was just... It was awesome, especially at the age I was. But after vision loss, it's not as exciting to be there, mostly because I can't see what's going on. Yeah. So, like, let's take, for example, a Cowboys game. What I typically would do, and I've been to some Cowboys games after vision change. So, for me... Oh, you have. Yeah. For me... I'm there for the excitement of being there mm-hmm. and I can see, you know, I've talked about in previous episodes, I've talked about kind of my visual acuity and how that translates to what I can actually see. Cause it's really tough to describe, which is why I call myself ambiguously blind. Right. And being in a sporting arena, a cowboy, a, a football game or a basketball game or, or any game, I really can't get a good feel for, I, I usually feed off of the, like, if it's a, if it's a basketball game, if I'm at the home team's arena and everybody mm-hmm. goes nuts whenever, after somebody throws the ball up, then I just assume he made it. Right. 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 But I mean, I can imagine though, after vision loss, being at a Cowboys game, I mean, that's a sport where as a spectator, you're, you're, watching and paying attention to, you know, first down marker. And like, those are small details far away from you that to really kind of enjoy each drive, like you need to be aware of how far are they going? How far did they just go? And you probably sitting in the stands can't take, you know, can't see that and take that in. Right. So then you're just waiting to hear the reactions. Right. Did he catch that? Is, did the, did the tight end really throw a, bad block or was it really holding or what was the, what was this person doing? So I rely totally on the, the PA system, you know, to kind of know what's going on. 
but the thing that I yeah. would would do really to to make it more palatable for me is I would I would bring a radio. So I'd have mm. you know you've seen those people in the stands. It happens a lot more in baseball games, I think. Mm-hmm. But you see the people in the stands that are there, but they've got their headphones on because they're right. listening to the play by play. So for me to go to any event, I need to have the radio broadcast in my ears okay. or it's really meaningless for me to be there. So <laughs> I will, I will fight through the traffic to get there. All the sea of people coming and going pay 40 bucks for a Coke and really not, right. really not consume much of actually what's going on if I don't have access to the play by play or whatever. So, I mean, that makes total sense. I even, even me, I have, I have no, you know, visual challenges of seeing anything out there. Going to a Cowboys game isn't that great. I prefer watching them on TV so that I can watch at my own pace. I can hear the announcers. I can see the replays. I just, it's, it's one of those sports that it's not, it's not as all it's cracked up to be being in person for me. Other sports, I enjoy it more. I love being at a Rangers game. We go to every FC Dallas home game. Like there are, like I, I, I do not like watching soccer on TV when I'm a season ticket holder and know how it feels to be, you know, a few rows up and seeing all the nuances and hearing, hearing the the ball hit hit their cleats and everything. But yeah, I can't even imagine why you would want to be there at a Cowboys game. Yeah, I would say just to kind of understand what it is, just imagine you're there and just kind of close your eyes mm-hmm. and see what you take in. Now, there's lots of stuff to take in. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But there's lots of things to to be to hear and other things like that. But if if you have the play by play in your ear, it makes it light years ahead. But I will say play by play is not equal among sports either. Mm. I don't know exactly why, maybe because it's been broadcast so much or so long on a play-by-play basis it's baseball i generally i'm a, I'm a texas rangers fan too and we'll listen to lots of texas rangers games and the great eric nadell mm-hmm. i don't know what it is i mean he, he's got a soothing voice and a, and a great sound and all that kind of stuff and his knowledge and everything is, is really great but really i think any baseball broadcaster will they go through so minute details of things mm-hmm. that the other sports do not, you know, I can remember, I can, I can just hear Eric Nadell saying the, the color of the piping on the pants of the team that's playing, you know? Yeah. And giving the, you such a description that you can, you, you can, can see paint that picture. Yeah. You can, yeah. you can see it in your head. So you can see the, 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 the font of the team's name or logo on their Jersey and what colors they are. And, you know, he gives you details about what the pitcher's doing, how he's holding yeah, the ball. Yeah, I was going to say the and, breeze yeah. of the air, the the every like it's just they give you sto- so much the information. Story. They give yeah. you so much information. So For baseball sure. is really a pleasure to listen to. Not to mention the fact that you know baseball is a talking sport anyway, because there is mm-hmm. a lot of downtime. So there's so much stuff or so much time to fill that they give you all those details, and I really like listening to baseball I like watching baseball on TV and I like really like listening to baseball and even if I if I'm going to be at a, at a game I think the one I would like to be at the most would be a baseball game mm-hmm. because of the amount of detail I can get through yeah, the play so by play that's how I grew up my dad 
watched Rangers games on the TV, but listened to them on the radio and muted the TV. And that's just sort of how I grew up. And those are the voices that I was used to hearing and the descriptions and, and just the way it was delivered. That's what I'm kind of was used to, but, and that's why I love baseball so much is because we were a, we, we watched every sport in our household, but you know, there's so much baseball to be watched that we were, it feels like there was always a baseball game on. Okay. But you said something while ago that I wanted to ask you about as far as listening in what about like NASCAR and sports like that, that are really designed for fans to be like listening in on, on the team's wavelength even. Have you ever gotten into that? Oh, just a little bit. For some reason, I'm not a big NASCAR guy. I don't, I don't hate it, but I'm not a hater, but I'm not a lover either. So yeah, no. And I've been to some NASCAR races and if people think baseball is boring, um, I don't, I don't know what to tell you about a NASCAR race. I mean, they, they go around in circles and I think they're obviously very talented and they do to do what they do, especially at the speed and the proximity there, you know, going 80 to 120 miles an hour within inches of another car. That's pretty amazing. And at the yeah. angles and things of those turns, but no, I've never, really I gotten agree. Into it. It's amazing. And I give them all the props, but I, I don't get it either. Um, I don't get when you are like when the people around us, I think we IndyCar and NASCAR is a couple of things we've been here at, at Texas, Texas Motor Speedway, but I don't really get what they're listening for when they have the, their headphones on and they're listening to the feed. Like I, I guess they're listening to the guys talk, communicate with each other with pit stops and different things, but it, it just, I've never really dove into it enough to really fully like understand and embrace it. But Formula One, I've sort of paid more attention to the last few years. Um, and it's very interesting to me. I could see how, I don't think I'm going to get into Formula One as a grown adult, but I could see how that would be a, a, a really interesting port, sport to follow as somebody who can, like, you could, again, you can listen in to what their actual strategy is in real time as they're racing. Yeah, I see how that would be cool, and I I've heard some of those, you know, the the talk, the chatter between the drivers and the pit crews and all those and the spotters and those guys, and I, that sounds it's cool and it's interesting to me for a little bit, but I just I just can't get into racing like that. What about the ticket? So I list I consume a lot of my sports information via the ticket. I don't consume sports when they're doing coverage of certain things. Um, if they happen to be doing post game shows, I don't really consume it that way, but just on like my everyday daytime listening, I get a lot of my sports info from there. Are you a ticket listener? Yes. I'm a P one. Yes, me too. So do you understand like when they're talking, okay. So when they're talking about like the masters, that's sort of top of mind lately. And when they're talking about hail Mary throws and they do a 15 minute segment on, you know, a specific play or something. And it's something that you couldn't see yourself because maybe you don't watch golf because I don't know, or maybe you didn't see the football game, depending on how well you can see plays on your TV. Do you like it when that happens on the ticket or do you tune out because you're like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't consume it as visually as they did. Well, I don't know. I guess that depends on specifically what it is. Generally, I don't. I won't leave the ticket because of, uh, generally it's not because they're talking about something I'm not interested in because they generally are pretty on point for what I'm interested in. But even if even if I couldn't see it because of my 
vision, oftentimes, especially in life recently, I don't see a lot of sports anyway because there's too many other things going on. So there's a pretty good chance I haven't seen a play they're talking about anyway. But generally speaking, I think because they're in an audio medium, I think they do a pretty good job of describing what they're talking about, Mm -hmm. assuming that some people or maybe many people haven't seen the play. So I can generally pick up on on those things. I I don't feel left out for that in that in that regard. Good. Yeah, I was curious Um, because I've either usually seen what they're talking about or I'll go pull it up. And, you know, if it's something I'm really curious about what they're talking about. Okay, I want to circle back, though, when you mentioned cycling. So what about like Tour de France? Are you watching that unfold when when that's happening in the summers? No. Okay. I'm a fair weather fan. So (laughs) when Lance Armstrong's winning six in a row, doping or not, I'm, I'm watching. That was the height of my Tour de France. Sure. Consumption. I mean, you know, it happens in July each year. So when, when I'm watching sports channels like, you know, ESPN or, or on the ticket listening to it, I'm interested in what they say about it, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go watch the time trials or the certain days recaps or I'm, Same I'm not going after the information, but when it's, when it's there, I'm interested in what it is, I guess. Yeah, so basically the I'm highlights. A, for me, cycling something like that, it's like highlights only. Hit, hit the high points. Did something dramatic happen? Did somebody take over? Did somebody fall? Like what, what was the drama about it or the high points? And that's about it for me. But it's interesting. I think that's a really interesting sport. I've just never gotten into it com- like competitively like that. So I'm just a very, very watered down fan. But biking in general, so I want to ask you about that because when you were on my podcast, we talked about that a lot, how I was surprised to know that that seems like something you're kind of getting back into this day and age. So tell me what's the most, what's the most recent in your biking experiences? Yeah, so I have recently started biking through the, the lockdown process. We've had a lot of time to spend at home, you know, maybe too much. Mm. So we're trying to find things to do. And we've got some kiddos at the at home and we've got to figure out something to do with them. Not not that we wouldn't be doing this anyway, but it just kind of seemed to be the right time for us to start doing biking. And the um, they took to it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we've got some bikers in the house and mom and dad now have to keep up with with that you know it was pretty sure. easy when they were on a tricycle or a, a balance bike you could mostly keep up with them but on after foot, they get yeah. after they get training wheels off and and on two wheels it's um and as i mentioned i don't like running so i'm certainly not going to run <laughs> after uh, after that as well so we started going into some biking and quickly realized that we needed some bikes of our own and my wife, Aaron and I, we didn't have bikes and I don't, I don't, I don't know really why she didn't other than that she just doesn't, you know, ride bikes. And for me, I think I didn't have one. I don't know. I don't know that I thought I couldn't ride them. I certainly have done a lot of bike riding in my life, but since vision changed, I really haven't ridden a bike. Well, you probably just, it wasn't something you expected to be doing. So it's not like you're going to just have a bike laying around. I mean, 
a lot of us, when you leave your childhood area, you don't really have a bike. I, I got a bike in college because we lived so close to campus, but of course it was something so cheap, you leave it there. Then when you go and you get your adult life started, a bike isn't typically one of the first things you go invest in and just hang on to for 20 years. So you only get it when you feel the need to like, you know, invest in one that you're going to be riding around for a while. So it doesn't surprise me that you wouldn't have one. That's probably how I would describe kind of what happened with us. And we got a bike for, uh, for Aaron and she really liked riding it. And I just, one day I decided I would try to take it for a spin. And the old saying is true. You never forget how to ride a bike. So I rode it and very quickly really liked the sensation. I mean, the, the feel of, of moving at that speed and the ability to get from say one end of the, the block to the other in a much faster pace. And the autonomy of just being able, just being able to go. So yeah, the freedom, there's something about riding a bike, right? There's just some feeling. Oh yeah. The wind blowing through my hair. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a joke. Posting. (laughs) So she, we got her, her bike and she was riding a lot. And so of course I started riding and then we had an issue because we only had one bike and there was two of us. So then as it, as it turned out, I got a bike and I've been going pretty, pretty bananas with biking. And for me, it's really been in addition to just the, the coolness of biking for whatever the, or the exercise element of biking and the activity level, which is good. I've really done a lot of exploring around my neighborhood because of, you know, I don't drive. Mm-hmm. So there are parts of just areas that I just haven't been to. I mean, I've been there, but because we were in the car moving faster than we are or we're walking or something, just just walking through the neighborhood, I don't really get the time to go exactly where I want to go, when I want to go there, and see exactly what I want to see or, or look at something in particular. So I have pretty much explored every square inch of our, our neighborhood now, uh, up and down the streets and through the fields and up and down the alleys and through the construction sites and that's awesome. I've been you're, pretty active. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your childhood, you know, exploring bike gang got to come back out and you, it is fun to go into the crevices of your neighborhood that you can't access with a car and just sort of see where, what, where this Creek goes or where this path goes or what's back here. And you know, it's go in between places that you just never go. It's there's something very interesting about it. So I'm, that's awesome that you're out there exploring and biking. And for me, it's, it's exhilarating and really terrifying from second to second because they're, I haven't had any close encounters yet, but it's, that's good. It's, <laughs> I, I've mainly, I've only stayed within our neighborhood. So, uh, I mean, it's a pretty good sized neighborhood that I've been in the streets. I try to stay in the street occasionally in the side and the sidewalks, but uh, so there, there's, you know, lots of cars, but nothing like the main street. So I, right. I hope to venture out and I actually have crossed uh, some pretty major streets into other neighborhoods and there, there are appropriate crosswalks available. So I'm confident I can do that without issue. I think I've had the bike, my bike for about three months now. And after a few weeks or maybe a week or so of, of riding it, 
I got a uh, tracking app on my phone. And so since I've got the tracking app installed, I'm about 200 miles of biking, according that's, to the according to the app. That's a lot. That sounds like a lot. Well, considering some, I've rode zero miles for the last 20 years, yeah. roughly, uh, yeah, 200 miles a- in about a, <laughs> uh, let's see, yeah, about a three-month time period. 200 miles yes. is pretty extraordinary. Uh, I'd say that's difference. a pretty good increase. Yeah, yeah. it's a pretty dramatic change. <laughs> Your pace is uh, high. I don't know how long I can maintain that. Just promise me that if you do venture out to the big roads and you're going on like these really big like, multi-lane roads that you have a buddy. I just feel like you need a buddy with you. I, I feel like that with any biker. Anybody cycling around. Yeah, buddies are always good, especially in the cycling or running world. So, because things can happen too. I mean, I've even had where my chains come loose and I've had to, you know, try to fix it. So, uh, that, that stuff happens, but there's a coffee shop, um, about that they would, they would require a, uh, a crossing of the, the street two ways Mm -hmm. that is on my list of things to do. Do it. Pretty soon. Yeah. Just take a friend or Aaron. Well, the problem is I really can't take Aaron. I can come sit with the, with your family and you guys can go get your coffee. You can go on a biking yeah, coffee date. Seemed, I would love to do that. I mean, we've talked about it, but there's just so many, you know, so many things that have to happen <laughs> for that small of a little activity really to make, ha- make sense. So I know. Yeah. We really it's can't go biking together right now. I mean, yeah. we go together as a family, but as, as you know, with having kids, especially depending upon their ages, it isn't really always a lot of biking that happens at at our yeah at our age. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of standing Stopping, still and winding and water looking, and talking, looking and yep. yeah, readjusting. Yep, I I get that. I remember that. All right, so I'm talking about being worried about you going out on your own to take on that adventure. Have there been any times when you have, like, with your vision loss, when you have been like actually worried or feared for your safety when you're doing something sporty or has that come up? Yeah, it has probably somewhat regularly. I mean, it depends on what kind of sport you're talking about. I mean, crossing the, I mean, watching a movie can be, can be, can be a sport. If you remember Chris Arnold spies, we're talking about the ticket, but nobody else will get that reference. So maybe I should cut that part out. Crossing the street, you know, walking your dog, things can happen. So those that that's always in the back of my mind with really anything, but when it, as it pertains to sporting, like at an, an event, yeah, it's not. So sometimes I find it difficult, especially like coming and going from a game, this, the massive amount of people that are moving. So it's hard for me to kind of navigate in a large swarm of people. That would be true for any crowd. So, but at a sporting event, like when the, it's usually when it's over, it's, it's mm-hmm. usually the, the biggest cause everybody's leaving at the same time. So, Generally, I will try to leave earlier or stay late, generally stay late so I can see what's going on unless the the game's out of hand or something. But I do remember thin out before you try to. Yeah, it's just not fun. Just kind of pinballing in between a bunch of people. And I mean, people bump into people all the time. That's not really a big deal. But I seem to do it an extraordinary amount of times Mm -hmm. um, when I'm. And plus, it's just kind of it's it's mentally taxing for me to be so concerned about not doing that that it's just like I'm I just rather wait kind of thing. Right. So, right. so that's one of the things you got to be aware of if you're going to a sporting event with me that that would be 
something I would try to avoid would be the the mass exodus or or a, being in a long or big group of people. I guess would be the be the case. But I can also remember really pretty vividly one of the first sporting events I went to after my vision change happened in 1998 was a Texas Rangers game. And it was during the summer of that year after I was home recuperating and my dad and I went to a Rangers game and really hadn't considered anything about being at a game. I was pretty excited to go Mm because it was summer and it was baseball and I like watching baseball. And I can remember I didn't have my radio. So that was one thing that I later learned would, would have made things better. I wasn't even considering that, but it was more or less just going and getting out of the house and being, being out there. So we went to the game and I really didn't, the radio thing would have, would have helped things, the the enjoyment of the game. But I was mm-hmm. so concerned with getting hit by a foul ball that yeah. it, it ruined the game for me. And I, I think I remember correctly, I'd have to ask my dad, but I think we moved once or twice because I just was so uncomfortable. Now the, the, the possibility of getting hit with a foul ball is very small, but yeah, it is. But the fact man, that I was adjusting to this new vision field that I had and what I, what I could and couldn't see and what my limitations were and all that kind of stuff. I, I just had this irrational fear of being hit and it, it really was tough for me to, I mean, to sit there. It was, it wasn't fun. Well, but I, I bet that goes back to you saying how much baseball you've watched and how much you enjoy it and you get into it. I mean, watching a lot of baseball or listening to a lot of baseball growing up, I mean, you, yes, it doesn't happen to everybody every game, but at all, all those fans in there, somebody gets hurt every so often, but, but you know, and remember seeing how fast a foul ball goes into the stands, right? And if you're sitting in a, a spot where there's a lot of line drives going at you, you, you just like, you just know that from watching so much baseball. So sitting there, not being able to spot a ball coming at you that fast, you just, I could totally see how that would get in your head and, and kind of get, you know, it would give me anxiety if I knew that there was a, could be a ball coming off a bat yet. I can't be sure that I'm going to see it coming at me. It'd be really hard to sit and enjoy the game. Yeah. That was not a fun experience, but it also reminds me too of my love for watching baseball too was later within a year or two later, I'm back in Lubbock at Texas tech university and we're watching baseball at the college level. We're watching games and we were fortunate enough, me and about four or five of my knucklehead friends were fortunate enough to, we had gate, we had tickets to the baseball games and the, the team was pretty good during those years. So they were fun games to go to also, but there was this section like, so for me, I, I need to really be close to the action for my best, for the best effort for me to be able to see what's going on. And so sitting up and well, in the outfield, I'm not going to really see anything right. and, or even really more than 10 or 15 rows back. It's kind of all the same to me. So if I'm in a place where there's a box where I've got a TV or something, near me that that makes it better but then you know sitting in a box is that's pretty rich I don't know how many <laughs> can't yeah. afford to do that all the time but we got into this groove at Texas Tech baseball games where this the row immediately behind the visiting 
on deck circle. Oh, uh-huh. the row, like the five, there was like five seats right the first That's row up right behind time. the visiting, yeah. the visiting on deck circle was open. So like we would go to, I don't know, we probably went to 20 or 30 games, I would guess. And people, I think just thought those were our seats <laughs> and it was awesome. And for those me, good seats. I could see the players because we were so close. They're great seats. You can see the field. You're looking out you at the heckle field. the, the other and, Well, the heckler. So there, I learned about the heckling at the college level. And so there was a, there was professional hecklers there. I mean, that was called the, the tech hecklers and they had, I mean, they were good. <laughs> they were really good. And so we were sitting pretty close to them, kind of got to know them a little bit. And it was fun listening to all their, all their shtick and all the stuff that they did. But we were so close to the game that I could really see a lot. I did have my uh, my radio ears in, so I, I could hear it too. But we were sitting because we were so close, and right behind, basically the batter, there's a net right in front of us. Like mm-hmm. I could reach out and touch the net. So that for me was like the safety mechanism that I knew I wasn't going to hit by a a foul ball. And yeah. if it was going to be a foul ball, it would have to go way up in the air, and there would be 10 people Somebody. around me all trying to get it. And then we, yeah. we'd all have plenty of time to, to yep. adjust to it. So it, those, those were my best baseball games right there. I mean, those, yeah, the those net makes years. all the difference in the world. That net is much needed. And, and every year major league baseball makes different rules and extends that net and watching minor league baseball here in town, it's now been extended so far. It's so great because I think it extends all the way to the far edge of each dugout, which is pretty far down the line. I mean, it, it's that's a lot of net, so it's a lot more space where you can enjoy the game without worrying about getting hit by a line drive. Like you said, if it comes up and over, that's one thing. And I don't think the net really interferes with the the vision or the sight. I mean, obviously the the net's there, but you, I, you can see through it. And uh, the posts yeah. would probably be the biggest issues, but the posts are generally pretty far spread apart. So I I think you know. Why not? Why don't we take it all the way down to the, to the fair, the the foul post? I think they should. They I probably they probably will. will. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Different different parks can do whatever they want, I guess. But I I mean, it's funny because every year when we reset our seats, we're like, as long as we're behind the net, we like to be behind the net yeah. and just a little offset from home plate. But that's my biggest thing for baseball seats is just behind the net. But Matt, that's mostly for my little little kids. But. Um, but we still get a lot of balls back there. It's just not as fast moving. You know, you have a few seconds to react and see it coming and move if you want to move. Yeah, that that type of foul ball is is fun because people are going for it and having fun with it. But it's the screamer down the third baseline yeah. that, you know, knocks somebody's jawbone off is not the one you want. Yeah. Well, we we started this talking about getting knocked in the head and we finished this getting talked about getting knocked in the head. So <laughs> that's probably a pretty good way to leave it. <laughs> it's come full circle on our, on our sports talk. But I don't know if we covered all the sports, so maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. I mean, anytime I'm always up for, for chatting about sports. I actually have a lot of notes and research that we didn't get to that we can talk about another time. I want to, I want to talk about all these popular sports for people with vision um impairments and that i learned about that i didn't know so yeah. we can do that another time we'll do that the next time yep sounds good thanks kelly yeah. thanks for having me john
Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. And for a complete transcript of this episode, connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.